welcome to this NRI podcast. My guest today is Associate Professor Ravi Kumar, and I've invited him on to talk about oceans, in particular, the huge problem of pollution in our oceans. Now, June the 8th each year is, of course, the United Nations World Oceans Day. So, Ravi Kumar, welcome to this NRI podcast, and thank you for being my guest. Thank you, Lyndon. Thanks for inviting me over for the discussions. Yeah. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. So, Ravi, this year's theme for World Oceans Day is revitalization, collective action for the ocean. Can you explain what does that mean to you as an expert in this field? Okay, let me put the problem in the perspective. We know that the uh, ocean covers 71% of Earth's surface. So, obviously, this is a very vital resource for all forms of life. However, what's happening is that ocean's health itself, especially over the last 50 years, is deteriorating. And there are several problems, you know, chemical pollutions. But uh, one of the alarming problems uh, which I am working on is the plastic pollution in the oceans. Yeah, I think I think everyone knows now that plastic in the ocean is a huge problem. But yes, please, please do explain. How do you see it as, as being the most important problem? It is because uh, primarily because production of plastic uh, and consumption of plastic and then obviously we are generating waste out of that consumption is increasing every year you know the production itself uh, i was looking at the world data you know from 300 million metric ton to 500 million metric ton by 2050 so we are talking about very large volume of increase in the production now all of that production is obviously getting consumed uh, but what's not happening is uh, you know uh, waste management so what is happening is the mismanaged waste uh, especially the plastic waste is moving to water bodies and ocean so this is very alarming so can i just stop you there Ravi, to go back to those figures did you did you say there was a 200 million metric ton increase within what was that five yes. years Exactly, yeah. Uh, by 2050, so we actually will be uh, producing every year 200 million more metric ton. 200 million that, metric ton more. That's really scary. It is. I mean, that, it is that scary. Is, I, I, I can't even think what how big that is. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge, and also because uh, we already have about 6,000 million metric tons of plastic waste generated, which will become 12,000 million metric ton. Uh, by 2050. So we are doubling uh, very quickly. Those figures, are, they're mind-boggling, aren't they? They are, they are, they are. And that's why this so, is the uh, revitalization of ocean is a very right theme. I think uh, uh, we have to work collectively on this. Uh, I guess revitalization of ocean have to be on everyone's priority list. And that's only when the collective mm. action can happen. So what does collective action mean to you? I'll say collect, you know, any, any, problem that can be addressed, the solutions have to be applied by actions by the citizens, uh, first of all, um, and then the political action, and then the actions by the businesses. So I consider these three actors are very important actors in any collective actions. You know, talk about climate change, talk about COVID-19 response, talk about, uh, you know, response to ongoing crisis of, uh, you know, cost of living or ongoing wars. Uh, the collective action on three fronts have to be clearly happening and it's the same the case with the ocean revitalization revival of our ocean health of our oceans that is those though yeah those figures the figures are absolutely frightening so 
How useful do you think these um, days of action, like the United Nations one, how useful do you think they are to solving this problem? I guess uh, World Ocean Day as today is, uh, reminds us uh, why health of ocean is so important for our long-term survival as other issues, of course, are. I feel that addressing any problem in today's world requires, as I said, uh, three levels of actions, including actions by the private sector and the businesses. So maybe this World Ocean Day inspires us to take these actions, even though, um, you know, as a reality check, uh, we know we are very far, far from succeeding in putting ocean health on the priority list of uh, any actors or different actors that I was talking about. It's not a priority, but it needs to be a priority. Mm. Yeah, And this uh, day reminds us to put it on priority. How long have you been concentrating on ocean pollution? Well, it's, uh, it's about three, four years of work, um, especially in middle-income countries where uh, I feel uh, actions need to be concentrated on because Middle-income countries are growing. Economic growth is very fast. Uh, but what's happening is that the waste management infrastructure is unable to keep pace with the economic growth and thereby is leading to very large volume of uh, plastic pollution uh, finding its way to the ocean. In fact, uh, one of the estimates I was looking at is that 16 out of top 20 countries contributing to marine plastic later are middle-income countries. So does that mean they've had enormous economic growth and therefore the citizens are getting more wealthy and can afford to buy more stuff, but their recycling programmes and their waste programmes haven't kept up with that? So they don't know what to do with all the waste that's generated? Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, that's correct. That's correct. I uh, I think it's, it's a problem for all the countries, first of all, but uh, it's more pronounced problem for countries which are growing very fast. Uh, so it's a trade-off, right? While we call it as a trade-off, but there are solutions, you know, you can have win-win solutions. You can still grow very fast and you can still manage your, you know, plastics or manage your pollution generated out of your economic growth effectively. So they, these solutions just need to be applied, applied well. How do we make sure that countries do that? How do we make sure it's great that the citizens are becoming more wealthy and can live better standard of life? But what about the waste aspect? How do we exercise the political and the, the business and the individual effort to stop all that plastic ending up in our oceans? I think for that, we have to understand the peculiarities of uh, the situations that we are talking about. What's uh, clearly happening is that uh, large volumes is going to the ocean or water bodies. Uh, but the peculiarity here is that the waste collection systems in, in these countries, especially I'm talking about India, Nigeria and Vietnam, where uh, I have been doing focused research work on. Uh, so India, Nigeria and Vietnam, the waste collection system is dominated by informal sector. What I mean by that is that uh, there are low income waste pickers who collect waste of all kinds, um, including plastics, and take it to small shops, which kind of aggregates and segregates uh, a different waste material, and then sell uh, usable waste materials to large shops, who in turn, of course, sell them to small and large scale recyclers. So this is uh, completely an informal setup uh, in these countries. One of our partners, which is called Kabadiwala Connect in India, is an innovator. Uh, they call them as level one, level zero, level one, and level two aggregators. Now, these waste collection streams are a problem because they are informal. But uh, importantly, what's happening is that uh, some of these innovators like Kabadiwala Connect have found solutions, creative solutions, 
working with informal waste collection systems and integrating them with, them with formal waste collection systems can then bring all-round benefits to a large number of populations in these countries. Can I just check, just in case people don't know what an informal um, an informal waste collection system is, can you describe exactly what that is? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is uh, not mandated uh, by the government. Informal uh, will essentially mean that people are doing on their own will. It's kind of a small scale enterprise, income generating opportunities for waste pickers. So waste is dumped in either open fields, open grounds or wherever else. Uh, so waste pickers go there and they are very, very uh, low income group because they earn about four dollars a day right so that's, uh, that's from very, this like, these are poor people who are doing this work yes exactly and then they take it to a small shops who kind of an aggregator as i would say telling them the kabadi wala call connect call them as l1 aggregator level one aggregator and then of course this material moves forward so there's some recycling you know 20 30 percentage of the waste material get recycled through this informal channel so, which is what is dominating entire waste collection or waste management mm. systems in uh, middle-income countries uh, like India, so Nigeria, is, Vietnam. It's one of the answers for these these uh, lower middle-income countries to help the government implement uh, standardised uh, waste removal and recycling services, similar to, to that we have in the UK. You know, that run by local councils, and everything's done uh, to a certain standard. Is that something you're trying to help implement? No, not really. I think what works in UK and um, Europe and other developed countries will not work uh, uh, in these countries because the situations are very different. You know, you're talking about livelihoods of uh, hundred thousands or more than people who are involved in informal waste collection and they're doing a great service actually. Uh, so while we say they are informal and sometimes uh, despise that, uh, actually, they're doing service to the nation at 20, 30 percentage of uh, recycling is happening because of their efforts. And of course, they're also getting their income uh, as a result. So I think we have to recognize the contextual realities in these countries and then integrate them with the formal system. The idea is not to formal systems to replace informal system, which is currently in existence. The idea is about integration. And I think there are several solutions working on this integration. You know, I can cite, for example, a solution I was talking to a few weeks back in Nigeria, which is called Waste Bajar. Uh, now they are creating green credit mechanisms, essentially a kind of smartphone based mechanisms for consumers, kind of incentivizing consumers to give their waste to these informal waste pickers. Oh, I uh, see. So you're, that's working on the personal aspect. Yes, exactly. So they are addressing uh, multiple issues at the same time by devising this kind of a green credit solution. So they, these green credits, in fact, can be monetized by consumers and it benefits the entire chain of waste pickers and recyclers. So it's, it's the kind of integration of informal and formal waste management stream, which okay. the Waste Bajar is uh, so trying in Nigeria and of course in other countries they're trying to scale up now in Africa. Of course. So how does that work in Nigeria? So if if an individual um, do, you know disposes of their waste in the in the correct way, what do they get? A green credit on their phone? Is that like a is that a monetary thing or is it? Yeah, they they get uh, green credit points, uh, just like the loyalty points we get uh, on our shopping. Uh, so. Uh, responsible recycling responsible segregation they get the green credit and that green credit point can be actually monetized at any supermarkets or any any other shopping they're doing so Brilliant. and this is paid for by uh, i think the revenue model is excellent this is paid for by the businesses because 
which is a similar model which I saw in Vietnam. And again, I was talking to them turn to turn uh, in Vietnam. They call it turn to turn, turn to turn. Essentially, every turn matters. Every turn of plastic waste collected matters. So their company name itself is turn to turn. Now, turn to turn has developed a, a very nice plastic credit system. Just like carbon credit, the plastic credit, because uh, corporation businesses have plastic footprints. So I think they are motivating these businesses, especially large businesses, to pay for every tons of uh, plastics, especially orphan plastics, they call it. Plastic, which is not recyclable. Uh, multi-layered plastics, the pouches, uh, which is very difficult to recycle or not usable. Uh, so they collected and laid... Uh, you know, a kind of integrated formal recycling system. So take it to uh, essentially convert it into uh, energy. So waste to energy kind of a model. And entire chain benefits from the collection point to the segregation to, of course, uh, where it goes to the recyclers and the companies, businesses involved in it, their footprints, uh, plastic footprints are certified to be addressed. So it's a very much certification system. So I think initiative like Waste Bajar, Tonto Ton, Kabadi Wala Connect in India that we are talking about in middle-income countries are useful, innovative solutions towards addressing integration of informal and formal uh, waste management streams. Mm. So when you've been working in India, Vietnam and Nigeria, is there anything um, you've come across that has really surprised you in terms of um, you know, how they're dealing with the waste problem there? Well, the surprises are clearly in, in the way the integration can happen. And in the way these solutions are devised, you know, uh, obviously, uh, at first instance, you will think these will not work. But we are seeing them working, especially on a pilot scale as of now. Uh, they are taken to a large scale. Obviously, these are very worthwhile solutions to be picked up uh, by green finance, for example, by STG finance, because ultimately they're addressing a problem which is a large scale problem. So these will need to be taken to a very large scale so that they can, uh, through the innovations they've devised, can address these problems. So I think the surprises was in how they have beautifully integrated uh, formal and informal waste streams. And, and do the people living in those countries, are they educated to, to, to the fact that you know, something has to be done? Is it something that they're very much made aware of? Uh, I think very, very difficult to say yes and no in this. I'll say uh, prevention of first of all you know prevention of waste going into ocean is first priority and the prevention will require behavior change awareness and incentives the consumer level incentives especially there is some awareness um, i think the research we were conducting on coastal cities in india uh, we found out there is an awareness of the issue but that awareness is not generated into actions i think uh, more needs to be done uh, because you can see you know on the beaches, uh, huge amount of plastic litter there. So consumers are aware about it. There are some consumer groups acting on it. Uh, you know, beach collections as we hear in news items. Um, but that beach collection uh, as a one-time solution is okay, but uh, we have to find uh, better solutions, right? right? So which will require uh, behavior change. Um, and uh, you know, as I was talking about prevention behavior, change that will require more awareness that will require more incentives for consumers to act in a way uh, which kind of prevents uh, these plastics going into the open environment okay um do you think we're at some sort of tipping point uh, in terms of ocean pollution 
Yes, I think definitely. Um, as I, I was expressing, the scale of the problem is already enormous. Um, you know, because we are polluting the oceans at almost the double rate of what we did in the last 50 years. I mean, it's not a, a historical problem. Uh, it's a problem which came up in only in last 50 years. And uh, we are nowhere near finding any uh, workable solutions which can work at a scale. So the problem is only increasing. Uh, but we do have a number of tried and tested solutions. Uh, many of these solutions uh, are working at what we call in, in, in research as technological readiness levels of three, four or five, which is essentially at pilot scale or small scale they are working currently. So clearly a selection of these solutions will need to be taken to scale of maybe higher TRL levels of six and seven. Um, so I think we have to not only maintain the momentum of what we are doing, uh, but we have to accelerate for avoiding uh, the scary scenarios. You know, we are depicting, we are seeing these scary scenarios already uh, in news items. Tell me, what what is a scary scenario in in, in your world? Uh, quite a lot. Uh, uh, you know, if I start highlighting with some data, the scary scenarios are that the marine plastic litter poses very serious risk to marine. Uh, biota as we call it uh, the mammals the aquatic life it also raised socio-economic concerns plastic debris is already causing more than a million seabirds death every year as well as uh, that uh, you know estimates suggest that every year hundred thousand marine mammals are dying because of plastic debris it is harming you know the data i have here is 800 species it is harming 40 percentage of marine mammals 44% of seabird species are affected by marine debris ingestion. All these are established data sets. Uh, and also, more importantly, if uh, we are looking at ourselves as human life effect of uh, plastic debris, is plastic microplastic uh, debris is compromising human food security also because uh, ultimately what's happening is that uh, commercial seafood and other food items are going into our food chain and also in the drinking water. Uh, so you see, these are uh, this is what is already happening. Given that the double the rate that we are polluting our ocean, it will only increase. Mm. So it's come full circle, hasn't it? We, we've chucked this rubbish into the ocean. The fish and the marine animals are eating the rubbish, and now we're eating them, and therefore consuming our own pollution. That's pretty horrific, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is frightening. Yes. And and is it is it as simple as um, outlawing all single-use plastics, for example? Is it would that be a, a kind of a one-stop solution? Cannot be a one-stop solution uh, because, uh, as I said, solutions are required at so many different levels. You know, solutions are required at consumer level. Solutions are required at business level. Solutions are required at political level. And so, uh, single-use plastic. Is, is a good alternative, banning single-use plastics or levying single-use plastics. But I think the experience so far of enforcing the bans and levies on single-use plastics, UK has levied it, only not banned it. India, Nigeria, uh, Vietnam has banned single-use plastics. And several other countries, more than 50 countries have done this banning. But the experience of enforcement is very, very poor. It's not changing anything. Why, why is that? What, what happens then when, when a ban is, is enforced in a certain country? Well, it, it's business as usual. Things go on as usual. Uh, so, 
So you mean the, the businesses are not taking any notice of the ban? No, there is no notice of the ban. Uh, uh, there's nothing changing. You can see uh, whatever you're buying in markets, it can still continue to be given the single-use plastics in these countries. Uh, I mean, there are there are some uh, small pockets of effectiveness in some states in India, for example, if enforce the ban very effectively, especially northeastern states of India. But in most of the places, ban is not enforced. Uh, I think it comes to the producers' uh, responsibilities also, producers and consumers, and also because it's a vested business interest of everyone. I mean, the lakhs and lakhs of people are involved in production of single-use plastics. So their employment is affected. And I, and I guess when you're talking about extremely poor people who are living in, in desperate poverty, um, what matters to them on a day-to-day basis is to be able to earn a living by selling what they're selling or continuing to make a living however they're making that living they don't have the luxury yeah. we do here in, in this country to make different choices would you say that's a big factor they have a choice uh, it's not that they can't find alternative livelihoods uh, and it's not a very large chunk of population is currently involved in the plastic value chains or plastic production and consumption chain they have a choice. It's only the policy alternatives, the priorities we are placing on this, the waste management, the way we are doing it. Uh, and we are supporting low-income groups uh, along the chain. Informal sector is providing uh, enormous opportunities for livelihood enhancement of uh, low-income groups in the plastic value chain. So those can be supported with more social protection, more you know opportunities, alternative opportunities as well. So I think there are solutions. Only thing is we need to have uh, the political will to devise it and implement it. And, and do you think more global summits would help with that by bringing the world leaders together to agree on making certain changes? You know, is that the way forward? That has been the way forward. Uh, there has been a global summit which kind of endorsed uh, in March 2022, this year only, a few months back, a global treaty, you know, doing something about uh, ocean plastic. Now that uh, doing something is only a, a commitment and kind of commitment from all the countries that it, it was organized by UN Environment Group. So clearly member states have agreed to a convention on glo- uh, ocean plastic, a global convention and norms, but the actual treaty will come into place only in 2024. And even then the, we, we know about climate change treaties and you know what happens after that. COP26 happened last year. So clearly, I think uh, it's more about how we implement our intent rather than just the intent itself. Mm. Yeah, because like you say, these these global treaties come and go and they get lots of airtime at, at, at the time and then it all fades away again, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 it is. But uh, it, nonetheless, this is important because unless we bring global attention to these issues, nothing else will happen in terms of large scale actions. Mm. So I've recently come across the phrase, when we look after the ocean, the ocean looks after us. What, what, does, that, what does that mean to you? I'll say it uh, essentially means that, um, you know, as I was also expressing earlier, oceans are our existential resource. They are life-sustaining, right? If they are not looked after, they can not only threaten the survival of aquatic life, uh, but obviously, ultimately, it will come back to us. Uh, it will compromise human health and livelihoods. And it can obviously have very severe consequences. You know, we don't want to recite again and again, but uh, it could be definitely very severe consequences, which could be existential, just as it could be from the climate change. So I think we have to we have to raise public concerns on these issues, and we have to, as I was saying earlier, mobilize citizen actions and other actions on this front. Yeah. And and what is, what is, what are you NRI actually doing to you know push this agenda 
along and, and make real change happen. Well, at, at NRI, I mean, because we are a research and innovation uh, space, I mean, our work is in the research and knowledge uh, sharing space. Um, uh, we are researching on these issues, um, especially in middle income countries, I was highlighting. Uh, we are disseminating our work. We are raising awareness to the extent uh, in the forums we are participating. And uh, we are also documenting some of the solutions, you know, the solutions that I was talking about, some of the innovations, which are even though at not very large scale at the moment, but uh, they have potentials to be very impactful at large scale. So we are highlighting those innovations in our conversations wherever we are going. So I think in a small way, uh, we are bringing attention to these issues. Uh, uh, in, in some relevant forums. So, Ravi, I always like to try and end these podcasts um, because some of the content is quite depressing, really, isn't it? Especially the, the me- millions of metric tons of waste <laughs> that's going into our oceans and the fact that if we don't do something, we're going to really, really suffer as human beings. Can you give us any kind of um, hope for the future that we can somehow turn this problem around and save our seas? Well, uh, uh, if we all... All the see all of us are concerned, right? Uh, so if all concerned take actions, I will say I'm sure we will have healthy oceans. I mean, uh, doomsday scenarios are all there, of course. But by 2050, if we starts to manage our uh, uh, plastics, the waste management streams improves, then we will have healthy oceans, and along with it, obviously, we will have happy human existence. Thank you for that little ray of hope. Just. One last question before I let you go, because I know you're a very, very busy man. Um, what can I do as an individual to reduce my own uh, plastic footprint, if you like, and to you know, stop my own waste, household waste, ending up as a, as a pollution problem in the seas? What little changes can I make to my own life? I think for everyone, this is one solution which applies to everyone living in any, any country, uh, whether UK, India, Nigeria, wherever else, uh, segregation. I'll say segregation because ultimately what happens is that when, when we mix up, it goes somewhere and it doesn't get segregated, uh, it doesn't get recycled. So you mean it's worth me spending the extra five minutes to rinse off the plastic and tear the plastic film off the cardboard and put it in the right compartments in my recycling bin? Exactly, exactly. I think it's it's hard sometimes. Uh, it requires awareness of what which what will go where. But uh, I think it's extra minute of efforts are worth it, really. Because ultimately, uh, if we don't do it, you know, one of the things I was reading is also about uh, the cost of prevention is much, much lower than the cost of management. I think that's a really good thought to leave us with today. Professor Ravi Kumar, thank you so much for being my guest today on this NRI podcast on ocean pollution. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Thank you. Nice to be here.